Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Excited to be back. It's been a while. I've been hiding out, doing lots of stuff. I'm letting the A-team take over. I'm just here when uh, we get grade A, top, high-level talent like the guy we got, Matt Mitriota, had to had to join this one. So what's happening, Matt? Good to have you back on the show. Lights what's Out up, Podcast, man? killing it right now, as usual. How you been? I'm, I've been living a dream, brother. I've been kind of uh, trying to stay low myself, man, not do too much. But I got to tell you what we're doing tomorrow, though. Here. Jacob, my oldest son, Jonah, my middle child, and uh, myself are heading up to uh, to Milwaukee, and we're going to a festival tomorrow. And you're going to say, who's going to headline a festival, Matthew? And I say, Rage Against the Machine, and then run the jewels. Oh, oh no so way. So I'm going to That's see Rage and RTJ tomorrow. Wow. That's big, man. Rage is back. That's right. It's like the first time they've, they've toured in, what, 10 years? I don't know. In, in, in 11 years. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's huge. Now, are your boys big Rage fans? So do you make them listen to it? Be like, this is what you're going to be one day, son. So, <laughs> so I'll say this much. Jonah actually today was like, Dad. I was like, Jonah, if you don't want to go, it's no big deal. You know, don't. I don't want you to feel pressure just to go with me. And he goes, Dad, I swear. I swear to God, with no prompting. He goes, Dad, I feel like I wouldn't really be able to forgive myself if I missed a Rage show. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, well played. Well played. <laughs> he wouldn't even listen to Rage that much. And he's like, I know, but. I think it'd be a great show. And I was like, you're damn right. It's going to be a great wow. show. So nice. Watch your father get just blackout drunk, son. <laughs> hey, don't worry about what's in that crown Royal bag, kids. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't worry about the drinking. It's not going to be the drinking, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a rumor of you trying to fill a spot of a, of a boxing match. Is there any truth yeah. to that? Yeah, there's a little bit of truth to that. I, um, when it, when it, when it came across the wire that um, that Fury had bailed on the uh, Jake Paul fight, I was like, well, first of all, I know I'm not going to get it because I'm way too big and way too strong for Jake Paul. Um, and 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 I think he knows that. I think everybody that he fights knows that. That only fights little kids. Um, so, but I uh, I did my very best to, to work my name into that just because it would have been great. And I'm fat and out of shape, so like. It would be like a round and a half fight, you know, but there's a good chance I'd still sleep him in that round and a half. But I didn't get it. So I did try to fight Jake Paul, but I didn't get those. I didn't get a, a, a look in my direction, I don't think. I mean, Matt, you know his MO. He likes to fight guys who's about 30 to 40 pounds bigger than You know what I mean? And who are yeah. old enough. You got the old and retired part like me, but he, you're, you're way too big for me. He'd be like, hold on. If you weighed one, if you fought at 155, he'd probably take the fight. Not too big. <laughs> you're 100 right. pounds too heavy. <laughs> It would have been cool, though. It would have been fun. And that would have been a hell of an opportunity, man. There was a time when um, Matt uh, uh, Aptiker was uh, would put on some fights out in South Florida, and Jake Paul was there. And I ended up not going to the fights just because I can't remember something came up. Um, and I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if if he was there in order to try to size me up and start kind of bumping some gums a little bit to try to work something out, like maybe in the future. That would have been nice. Yeah, I'd love to slap him around. It would be a good time. You're kind of like a magnet for that type of behavior as well, whether it's intentional or unintentional. I, I think you draw a lot of people that are just always kind of, you're going on somebody's radar constantly. 
Well, it's because I'm, I'm, I'm highly obnoxious <laughs> and I don't, I don't hide or, or, or try to disguise it in any way. And I think I embrace it. So if I'm the heel, I'll be the heel. I don't really mind. It's just whether people, like the fans love it or hate it, but they definitely, they are never indifferent towards me. Hmm. And indifference is a killer, right? So we're talking about being the heel and being the bad guy. In my opinion, the code of conduct policy of the UFC was actually started because that of yourself. Might have been. With Fallon Fox. Yeah. So that's where we're at. Where we left off, we left off against DeFreeze. On your last interview, we're starting in, uh, I think it was August of 2013, where the owner of the company had to come out and make a statement in regards to that of yourself because yeah. of your social media. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't even my social media. It was an interview I did, right? It was my interview with, with, with AH, um, Ariel Hawani. Um, and I, what I said, like, <clears throat> like I, I, I said something that I felt was, um, you know, it, I think that was a very controversial scenario all, all across the board. Um, and I think that, uh, um, you know, what you said gets misinterpreted and then gets taken out of context. Uh, and if that's the case, then that's the case. And then, like, if you, if you have a, a sentiment about it, like, hey, man, I'm not going to apologize for something I said because I, I felt correctly when I said it. But if you took it the wrong way or if it hurt your feelings, you know, sorry about that. Um, you know, but so it's, like, so it's almost like a sorry, I'm not sorry kind of a position. But. Well, I mean, I, I feel like in a way, you know, it's not your job to say something, not to offend somebody. You know, it's like if your feelings get hurt by something I say, it's it's not really my fault. You know, that's your interpretation. Because what you said, in my opinion, wasn't necessarily wrong. Basically, you're saying that the, the person was it wasn't fair because he was doing damage to females. And it, it wasn't medically disclosed. It, like it was determined not to be medically relevant, which is asinine to me. But then again, that's California, right? And so like, no, no, so it was Illinois, huh? It was Illinois. I think he got his. Uh, I think the medical license was issued initially in, in California, and that's where it was deemed it wasn't medically relevant. Oh, so they, they went to great lengths to kind of hide it. Yeah. Then I, okay. I, I could be, it was such a long time ago; it could be mistaken. But I'm, I'm yeah, sure yeah. So in essence, Phelan Fox fought a whole bunch of somebody that transitioned to be a woman, fought other women without the knowledge of them knowing that Phelan at one point was on the other team. Thirty-one so. year old dude, yeah. Did you get fined for that? Um, kind of, not kind of, sort of. I mean, like, I don't really know how, how the UFC played it. Like, I didn't get my locker room bonus from it. So, but then again, like, you know, actually, I'll tell you, I'll tell you Chris, as a, as a, as a, as I digress just a wee bit, uh, Chris, you were right about contractual stuff with the UFC the whole time, and I was actually, I don't know if we ever had this conversation, but like, I remember when Chris would be like, "Hey, man, fight as hard as you can for your contract money," because. We would normally, like for the first, what, five, six, seven fights in the UFC, didn't really care what the contract money was because you got locker room money. You got bigger bonuses in the locker room than your contract money was. And Chris is like, listen, I'm going to, I tell you, someday they're going to stop giving that away because they don't have to. They're not obligated to do it. He's like, so you're going to find yourself waiting on that money and it's not going to come in and they're going to have you by the balls because you've been living on that extra money. And, uh, and, I, and I was like, well, I guess that's a really good point. So Chris always told me, Go fight hard for, for your contract money. Don't don't just count on them to be good to you all the time. And then lo and behold, they stopped giving that money out. And I found myself actually being like, you know, hey man, like, uh, hey Joe, uh, Silva, hey Joe, where's the locker room bonus at? You know, whatever else. Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what did I not 
fight, even though I won, did I not fight enough to entertain you, fight hard enough to do this? Like, how are you guys going to hold that back? But we're not contractually obligated to give it to you. Well, and I was like, wow, I'm so glad I'm a stickler <laughs> and a dick about negotiations because that otherwise I'd be begging with like Oliver, Oliver Twist, you know, please, sir. More please. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> why, you know, you, uh, you don't want to be at the in the, then you always have to be in their good graces. And that involves a lot of, you know, let's say you did make the wrong comment. Now they're pissed off at you. You never know what that means, man. You just, you, you can't be in that situation, man. You know, I understand. I've been in both sides and that's the only thing I'm good at is messing up and then figuring out, hold on a second. Maybe I can teach people I've messed up. That's the only thing I'm good at. <laughs> well, I hated, I hated your advice almost all the time. <laughs> good. <laughs> Chris, Chris was telling you, don't, you know, don't get used to the bonuses while he was taking them all. <laughs> <laughs> For real. I just stole one of mine. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys know this story about Chris? I think I've Chris told the bonus. Do you guys know this story? Please tell us. Go again. ahead. Chris. This is, this is the worst story of all time. So we fight in Indianapolis, you know, and, and Matt goes ball before me, fights Joey Beltran. Great fight, obviously, two heavyweights with the distance because Joey just tough to knock out. So Matt, you know, beats it, does a great job. But it's a good fight, you know, because Matt was able to hit him a lot. And he, does, he doesn't go down. So I'm like, all right, damn, that's a good fight. So then I fight Matt and Sarah, kind of the same thing. Uh, just a tough-ass guy. So afterwards, I remember I'm excited. I'm walking through the, the back hallways, and some guy walks up and says, hey, Chris. Kind of walked up almost like a drug deal. I got something for you, like, sweet. We got, and he handed me an envelope. And I looked at an envelope, opened it, 70 grand, you know, five to nine. He's like, good job, man. I was like, yes. So I go home later on. I talk to the wife. I'm like, hey, man, we got the bonus, you know, the 70 grand. She's like, yes. So then I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning. I get up and, like, my phone rings. I kind of look at it. So like, we fought on a Saturday. Yeah. So this is Sunday morning. So the guy calls me. It's like a 7 Never, I know it's Vegas, so the guy, you know, I answered. He's like, Chris, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but um, I'm just gonna say, you know, I thought you won the fight the night, and uh, you did not. And so, there's about a five second pause. And I go, He goes, We're gonna need that check back. And I go, Man, I already cashed it. And he goes, Chris, it's Sunday. <laughs> I just started laughing. I'm like, Yeah, you know. <laughs> all right, you got me. And he's like, so we're gonna we're gonna cancel payment on that. Thing. All right. <laughs> but, no, I got it, buddy. And they gave it to Matt. They no, gave I got it. it. That's my point. He stole my mind. <laughs> I was at least happy he got it though. And what's even funnier is that guy ended up being my accountant right now. <laughs> so the guy <laughs> yeah. who switched it up, I ended up throwing it back to him anyways. Would they use the locker room bonuses as leverage? For like your contract, hey, you know, sign for lowers. We're going to take care of you. W- would they do that? You know, I'm I'm sure they did, and by, by for quite a few people. But like, I never let that happen because Chris was talking to me about it, and like, I always was pretty active in my own negotiations. So, but I'm sure that that was probably a, a point that, of contention for the people that were trying to negotiate hard. Yeah, hmm. Chris, when he said to you, "It's Sunday, you can't cash a check," you you should have said. Yeah, no, I know it's Sunday. That's why I just came back from the riverboat. And on the casino, they would certainly cash that thing for you. So please, for next time, Chris, for next time. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I've learned, man, I don't know. That was a next time. There won't be a next time. But if it was, I've been like, no, you gave this to me. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're hey, fighting over this. Just as your mistake, in, coming out of your pay. When I was in Mohegan one time, or well, where would he fight Mohegan? When I was in Wohegan one time, we got that um, the bonus check, or we got a check for uh, the COVID fight, March 13th, right? The one I was supposed to fight that that Brazilian dude in. 
And uh, I hadn't trained at all. I wasn't ready for it at all. Like just took it because I wanted something, wanted an extra paycheck. And um, we're getting ready to go fight. It was like, it was that, you weren't there, were you, Chris? You couldn't get there, right? No. no. Yeah. So it was like four hours before fight time, I get a phone call that says that the fight's been canceled. Come down and collect your paycheck. And I was like, sweet. Sounds great. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so I'm down there and I'm like, listen, if the whole world's about to shut down, I'm not going to trust what's going on. So I went to the casino and I cashed my check in the casino. So what you're saying is absolutely, they did. They cashed my check there. Yep. Nice. Chris, you I still have that check? I had a couple of nefarious Russian bosses that, you know, worked in cash better too. So you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have to check. Ah, oh, that's that'd be a good one to have. Yeah. So Matt, yeah, September twenty first, you have a friend in Brendan Schaub. There's been some, like, I don't know if it's a misunderstanding, but it was kind of a blowout over social media because he requested to fight you. At least that was what was perceived. You guys fought September twenty first, two thousand thirteen at UFC 165. What happened to build that fight up? Well, you know, so what's interesting is that, so Joe, Chris is really familiar with this. Like, Brendan didn't ask to fight me and I didn't ask to fight Brendan. Like, Joe Silva just cooked that up on his own. Like, it wasn't legit at all. It was just a hustle. Uh, and we both, as soon as, as soon as I got the phone call, I called Brendan and Brendan's like, dude, that's not true. That's, they told me you said the same thing about me, whatever else. So we're like, <laughs> well, if that's the situation we're in, then we just go ahead, we have to go ahead and scrap. We have to go ahead and fight. Um, so we, we ended up fighting. We were like, listen, let's just build it up. Let's not take anything personal. Let's do whatever else. But like, it was really difficult for me to fight Brendan. I couldn't, couldn't pull the trigger on him. I felt like he had been, you know, knocked out pretty bad. A couple of fights, like three out of the last four fights he had before that, or something like that, maybe three out of the last five, um, excuse me. And it was pretty difficult for me to go ahead and lighten him up. Cause I felt like if he was already starting to get damage in his head, then I was only going to magnify it. Um, cause I punch differently than the rest of those guys do. And it really was hard to, to, to scrap him, hard to fight him, man. Really hard. Did you talk to Joe Silva about this? No, oh, I talked to Joe Silva about everything. I was never shy to talk to him about stuff. What was his reaction? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, I would never do such a thing. <laughs> was, he, was he just a snake or what? I mean, everybody has their own definition of a snake, but I mean, if you're a promoter, if you're a promoter and a matchmaker, that's your job is to be a snake. Get people to say yes to a scrap. That's your job. So <laughs> you trained at the Black Zillions. What was it like? Uh, what was it like training over there? It was cool, man. It was um, it was very uh, it was very talented, right? Like there were times when like like. I was by far the worst stand-up guy that was 205 pounds or, or, or better. You know, like, I mean, there were some people there that were just like Alistair Overeem and Tyrone Spong were having sparring sessions and Tiago Silva and myself and a guy named Guto Innocent and um, Rico Verhoeven and Philip Verlander and, and Nikki Holtz. And like all these people were like, are just in there and these, all these Dutch people I've never even heard of before. And like, all these other people are coming in that are like so, so incredibly talented that I'm in there like, dude, I, I almost wish it was a grappling day. Just I'd get my ass kicked in a safer way. Like, I mean, Anthony Johnson, Rashad, like, I mean, they were, they were like literally some of the most dangerous strikers in the world were in the room on a daily basis. Um, and like, I remember one day I went in there for grappling, like grappling Tuesday or something like that, maybe grappling Wednesday. Um, and like, there were probably... 50 people on the mat and out of those 50 people I think probably like if I remember because I think I counted I think it was like 21 of them were black belts and out of the 21 that were black belts like 
seven of them were in the world's top 10, like Vyshesha, Braulio Estima, Pablo Popovich, Cyborg Abreu. And like, they're like three understudies. And like, it was like, like all these people were like, dude, what? <laughs> okay. Wow. So, yeah. Like, so it didn't matter what you're doing. Like everywhere, literally everywhere you went, you just fought some of the best in the world. You grappled some of the best in the world, wrestled. Like there were like times when like Jordan Burroughs caliber of people would just be walking in and be like, all right, I guess we're going to wrestle this Olympian, this All-American and whatever else. It just happened all the time. Did you roll with Cyborg? Yeah, dude. So the first time I ever rolled with Cyborg, I didn't know who he was. And then, oh my God. And I had no clue who he was. And actually, this is when I, this is right after Straight I fought. Out. This is right after I fought Kimbo Slice. And um, I went down there and there was a guy named Dennis, Dennis, uh, Dennis something. They call him clean. Um, oh, Dennis, yeah, Dustin Dennis. Dustin Dennis. Oh. That's right. Dustin Dennis clean. Um, and so he was training up in, in uh, Indianapolis, uh, American top team for a little while. So I was going down there. Uh, I was going down to South Florida and training with, with Clean. And then Clean brought me over to Cyborg's joint. And I knew Cyborg had a gym. But, like, in my mind, like, I'd never been out of the state of Indiana. So, like, black belts are like James Klingerman. You know, it's like, sweet. Sounds great. Let's go grapple, you know. Um, and so, like, I didn't know that there was, like, a caliber of, like, black belts. And, like, then there's, like, real black belts. And, like, I didn't know that. <laughs> so, like, so I went down there and um, – and like, and he was teaching some class. And I was like, oh, cool, man. So like, hey, you want to grapple? Yeah, sure, man. And it's like when I was like young in my grappling game. So I was like doing like these inverted sweeps and whatever else is, you know, and he kind of like humored me about to let me take him down in a way. And dude, I must have gotten tapped 17 times in five minutes. Like I had, like I had no idea what I was getting my ass kicked into. And I was so like, I didn't think I was, I thought I was actually decently okay grappling. And then like, like I got handled so badly, I went back and I still didn't know his name. I still didn't know it was Cyborg Abreu, had no clue. I just knew his name was Cyborg something in South Florida. And I went back to, um, to Milwaukee to go train for my next fight with Joey Beltran or something like that, I think. Yeah, I think it was Joey Beltran. And it was freaking, um, no, it wasn't. Who was, I don't know, whoever fought third, can't remember. Um, well, anyways, and then, um, and I told Red Schaefer, cause Red Schaefer was, I was like, Red, I got to tell you the story, dude. This guy kicked the shit out of me, man. Like smoked me, blah, blah. And he goes, dude, that's Cyborg Abreu. He's supposed to kick the shit out of you. Like he's top five in the world. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> like, thank God that's what happened. And I just- Are you number two in the world? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike, wow. I, I got to tell you funny story here is when, when people don't understand when, when Matt first started fighting, like he's in the ultimate fighter house. And they're talking about fighters. Like, yeah, when Randy Couture did this, all of a sudden Matt was like, Who's that? Like, people thought he was joking. He was not joking. He didn't know any of these fighters. It says anything. They would, they would get so pissed because, like, people, all these people knew who Roy was. And I had no clue. It was like, who oh, this fat dude over here? Is that, he's supposed to be that good? Like, no way. And they're like, dude, for real. This is, this is legit. <laughs> like, only guy I knew was Kimbo because Kimbo was on the internet. That's it. <laughs> it's really the only guy that mattered. I mean, it's. They had him eliminated the first show, and then they teased everybody throughout the entire season because he was Mr. Ratings. Well, you know, for sure. And, like, you know what's interesting? I can't really – I can't believe they let Roy and him fight that early. Um, he needs a contract. Uh, well, it might – maybe, possibly. They were scared. Like, they were scared that Kimbo would, uh, you know, get to cash in his contract. Well, maybe. But, you know, who, who knows? I'm sure Kimbo probably had a guarantee anyways. He just had to show he would do it. 
Um, and I like I remember hearing the stories about uh, Ken Shamrock and Kimbo when they fought on was that Elite XC the one that broke Elite XC. Yeah, um, I remember hearing the stories about that and what Ken Shamrock found out that Kimbo was getting paid and all the semantics and shenanigans that went on after that. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. And that's when Seth Petrozelli fought Kimbo and knocked Kimbo out. So to kind of set the table on that, at the event, Ken finds out that Kimbo's making a couple hundred grand, which is more than what Ken is making. Mm -hmm. Ken decides to grapple, but people believe he bladed in order to screw up the main event and get his show money because mm -hmm. he was mad. Yeah. Cause he actually, well, I heard from good on good source that like that he, he told him, he's like, Hey, listen, uh, you have guys have until an hour before fight time to come double my purse. Cause I know what Kimbo, cause they gave, they gave him like some kind of contract and it was Kimbo's contract. So he saw how much money he was getting. And he was like, listen, if you guys don't at least double my purse, I'm not doing it. And they're like, you have to, it'll be breach of contract. We'll sue you. We'll own everything that you are. Okay, cool. Oops, he got cut. He got cut grappling. Yeah. yeah. Oops. <laughs> Petroselli steps in, knocks out Kimbo Slice, and Gary Shaw loses his entire business after that. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, isn't it, man? Wow. You know, I interviewed Ken, and it was kind of like, you know, reeling him in, reeling him in. I hit him with that question. He's a true sociopath. Like he lied his way to where he believes his lie, and everybody knows the situation. Everybody, everybody knows, everybody knows that man. Yeah. what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like so after Brendan Chap, he, he couldn't be he couldn't be uh, Ken Shamrock if he wasn't Ken Shamrock. Good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, Brendan Chap, how do things kind of clear up afterward? I know you guys are, are pretty good friends again. We're, we're friends now. It took a long time, man. It took a long time. Like, I was uncomfortable around him. Like, hell, I was really good friends with Ryan Bader. Really good friends. Like, when I would go to Phoenix, I'd call him, and I still don't talk to Bader. And it's not because I'm, I'm not mad at him. It's just weird. Like, I just – like, Chris, was it weird when you fought um, uh, Matt Sarah the, the first or the second time? Yeah, but, I mean, we we – We've gotten past that run. I mean, we never really – I haven't say got past it. There's never a problem. It was just uh, – I don't like it. I don't like fighting friends. You know what I mean? It's something you have to do, but uh, it I, I is just a weird position, man. I mean, it's, I'm not it's good just, at fighting friends. If I don't know you, I couldn't care less about you. But if I know yeah. you, it, I just can't do it. It's a, it's a weird dynamic, man. I remember I just uh, – I've had to do it probably three or four times. It never it never gets easier. You know what I mean? But yeah. it feels weird in there. But, like, I've, I've – I've had a pretty good ability afterwards. Be like, hey man, you know, help him up. It's cool, whatever. But hmm. it's it's rough. You're going out doing like uh, like podcasts with Brendan as well now. Yeah, doing like yeah. I was actually he asked me to go do it this past weekend for the July second card. Um, thank God I didn't go to that one. That would have been miserable pulling teeth to all those last two fights. Good God. Man, do you see that? You see, Chris Pratt kind of came out and they pulled him to the side. Right? What do you think? He was like, "Man, this guy talks this big game," but then he goes on there and plays patty cake. I don't like, it, you know. And then he, he apologized later, but it's like he's just saying what people think. You know what I mean? It's like if you don't sure. talk like that, I mean, I don't know. That that's to me my problem. I know everybody loves the big, big fights, but to me, a lot of times they're not that good, man. I mean, too much pressure on them, man. Too much pressure. Yeah, Everybody's I mean, too careful. You can't lose. It's all about you can't lose. And then yeah. you fight like Floyd Mayweather because you're afraid to lose. I want to see Arturo Gotti and Mickey Ward fight every time. Beat the brakes. I want Robbie Lawler versus where are the guy? I mean, just versus Chris Weidman. 
Well, that too. But <laughs> no, just his last fight. That the last fight he had was oh, fun yeah. to watch. Yeah, you know? well, Robbie's always fun to watch. You know. Yeah. Like Robbie doesn't know how to fight safe at all. No, exactly. So that's why I like watching fight. I, don't I thought Robbie watch was going to retire after that one. I thought Robbie was going to lay him down. Oh, yeah. yeah, man. I, I don't think I don't think the human body is meant to fight for over twenty years. That's just my thought. That's a long time, brother. Long did, did you work out with Robbie at the Black Zillions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, what did it's go ahead? What did he say the reason was he left American Top Team was? They did, you know, just some dispute, internal dispute. Um, but like Coach Kami came over, um, Nick Lentz came over. There was a handful of ATT guys for for quite a while that were over there. Um, and I think that Robbie, like, Robbie has a um a very graceful, casual, um nonchalant approach to to practicing and training um he's intense as all hell but he he lets his body rest he, he listens to his body a lot uh he doesn't spar with people who doesn't know he doesn't get punched for no reason uh he's very intelligent he only has very specific and trained uh, sparring partners um but robbie busts his ass uh and it's cool to see him mentor a lot of the younger guys he's very very good at it good your next fight is March 1st, 2014 in China. You got Sean Jordan from the American Top Team. I did, Sean Jordan. You know, it was funny, like, he was um, the first lefty I fought, I think. Um, and then uh, when I fought him, it was uh, it was strange because I knew, like, everybody's like, like, go circle, like, you know, circle the outside, whatever else. And then I was like, you know what, let's switch this up. And I just, like... A week before we started circling the opposite direction and it ended up paying us dividends. It made it so much better for us because like it really opened up the low kick, uh, opened up uh, my, my straight my straight left on him. Um, and it was he was durable, uh, but I could tell that it was it was going to finish him quickly. I could I could tell that it wasn't he wasn't in the mix for a long time. And actually, we have a great story about that fight, as a matter of fact. Well, actually, but, you, you know, from your football days. Because What's that? no, I, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know who he was. He had a he had like a pretty good run at LSU. I think in, he was a fullback. He was a fullback at yeah. LSU. Yeah. yeah. So like he was a pretty high level college player. Yeah, he was right? pretty. He was a pretty accomplished man. So, so Chris, pretty funny story. story. Oh yeah. Well, f- first what I was going to say was that was funny. Like right, I never had this happen before. We were in the locker room warming up, you know, and like okay, so not really warming up much. Might supposed to start in like an hour. Oh, I forgot so. that was this fight. And so like, okay, in an hour the fight's gonna, you know. So we're we're not really doing much, and then all of a sudden they came and they go. Remember we told them we're like, hey, there's a lot of time in between this fight, and we only have one more to go. It's like we're all supposed to fight in an hour and a half, and there's only one more fight on the card. And they're like, trust me, you're not gonna fight. Like the time's already set, you're not gonna fight. All right, cool. So we're just laying around, bullshitting. Um, so, so, uh, we're in the locker room and we're just chilling. They're like, dude, trust us. You, you have this much time. They're going to do filler. They're going to do whatever else. All right, cool, man. So we weren't doing anything. We were just literally laying around the locker room, not doing anything, not warming up, not even my only thing. My hands were wrapped. Then they come in like, dude, you're fighting in 12 minutes. Get wrapped. <laughs> what? Yeah. Get wrapped. All right. Okay, cool. So we get wrapped. We warm up for probably like 25 seconds, 30 seconds. And we go out and scrap. So that's like, I totally forgot that was that fight. And I'd never had it happen before. Like it was like a swing bout almost. That's kind of like a traditional boxing move to kind of intentionally screw somebody over. Oh, it was pretty wild, man. 
Like they actually, I have, I have another story about that, but I'll tell you about this one here in a second that, um, so we're warming up. So we did the weigh-ins, right? So we go to the weigh-ins and they, they're like in this big old arena and, um, and they sequester everybody else off and all like the coaches and, and, and the, the trainers and the fighters, whatever else. And Chris and coach Pat are like, Hey man, there's a bar right over there. We're going to be here for hours and hours. We're going to go over this bar. That's still in the, in the arena. We're going to go over this bar here and grab a couple of beers. All right, sweet man. No problem. See you guys in a little bit. So I think I'm over there with Ed, um, one of my buddies. Uh, I, I can't remember who I was with, with somebody. I might, hell, I might've even been alone. And then, um, Chris and coach Pat are gone for like an hour and a half. Then they come back over and they're like, they're kind of stinking like liquor. They're kind of drunk a little bit, you know, like, like kind of like, like giddy loud kind of drunk. And I'm like, Hey man, what's going on? I'm like, I'm about to walk out there about to do this thing. And they're like, okay, well, we'll be here in a minute. And then they're like, Oh, everything's back on pause again. We're not, you're not about to walk out. We have to go down this thing and wait a little while. Give like another 30 minutes. Okay, cool, man. So they go back out and grab a couple more beers, right? So that we like they've been drinking for like two and a half, three hours at this point. And so then they finally come back. I can't remember who walked on the stage with me. I don't know if it was Chris or Coach Pat or somebody else. I don't remember. It was against Sean Jordan. Uh, yeah, Sean Jordan. So I don't remember who it was. And then we get back to the hotel a little bit later on, you know, like, I don't know, an hour later. So they had not drank for like an hour where they had been drinking European beer. So they had been, they were pretty tore up. And I wanted to warm up a little bit just because I've been sitting around for so long. So I go down there and I warm up and I'm like, hey, Chris, I know we've been drinking, but let's just kind of move around a little bit. Let me kind of do some movement, some space, some distance stuff, whatever else. And Chris is fucking blasted, blasted drunk. And he starts raging, dude, like throwing bombs and haymakers and like scrapping, like going hard. And I'm like, yo, and we have no gloves on. We're just moving. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I like literally had to sit back and be like, bop and stick Chris in his face, like steal on him in his face, like right in his eye. His, his like eyes swole up, his mouth is swole up, his, his lip is bleeding. And I was like, yo, calm down, man. What are you doing? So the next morning, so we're done. Obviously after Chris is bleeding, we're done. Like next morning he wakes up, he's like, dude, why does my face hurt so bad? Like what went on? I'm like, dude, are you serious right now? Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you what you did last night, Chris. And then, so I told him all about it. He had absolutely no recollection of it whatsoever. Went out there. Then that's when that happened with the, um, with not knowing we were going to fight. That's what happened. And then we ended up going out there and beating, um, beating, uh, uh, what was your Jordan. name? Sean yeah, Jordan. Sean, yeah, Sean Jordan. And then we didn't want to go home. We're like, fuck it, man. We just got a bonus. because We got a knockout bonus. Like, let's go to fucking Thailand, man. So we just jumped a flight. Instead of going back home, we just jumped a flight to go to Thailand. That's the way to do it. Oh, my God. I'm dude, sure your wives were really happy about it this. Bananas, dude. Like, it was in Pattaya. So, like, Pattaya is where, like, they filmed, they filmed The Hangover. Like, Walking Street. So, that was Pattaya. So, like, it was, like, me, Chris, my fat friend Wood, and another dude. And, like, hey, do you guys have – you guys have – you know what? Let me pull this up on my phone so I can show you what I'm talking about here. Because this is worth hitting in this conversation. So, we fly into um, – we fly into Bangkok and they're having these political protests in Bangkok. And uh, so there's like four of us, big old dudes, you know? And we get in there, we're going, getting ready to go through like the, the visa line or immigration line or whatever. And the guy's like, hey, where are you guys gonna go? And I'm like, oh, honestly, man, we don't know. We're just gonna walk around, find a place to stay. We're gonna go chill. And he goes, no, you're not. And I was like, well, what do you mean, man? We're just gonna do that. And he's like, yeah, we're having these protests here. You guys aren't gonna say that. He's like, by the way, who's are you guys? And I was like, oh, me and these three back here. And he's like, you and those three, yes. You four? Yes. You and these three right there. Yes. You guys are going to Pattaya. 
okay, great. I have no idea what Patia is. I've never heard of Patia. I don't know anything about Patia, right? So we go get in this taxi um, and it was like just a regular little, little four-door car. My buddy Wood is 6'5", 395 pounds. He is huge, huge. And another little dude in the car and then sitting shotgun and Chris. So like four of us in this little tiny car and we drove for like an hour on, inter- on like the highway system over there. And they're like, dude, they're going to kill us. Like they're going to come. They're going to throw us in a ditch. They're going to take all of our IDs, our passports. They're going to kill us, man. Like, and we're driving and driving and driving. And I'm starting to get nervous myself. Even Chris, who's fearless or or oblivious, one of the two, is getting nervous about what's going on. So they finally get off this road and we're like going off in these third world shanty towns, like chickens in the street, shacks, like, like cloth doors, like all this stuff. And all of a sudden we end up at this like beautiful, like, like island peninsula, like bay, there's all this beautiful water. And I'm like, oh, we gotta be there, man, we gotta be there. And then while we're pulling up, the, the, the taxi driver's like, he's like, hey man, where are, you guys, where are you guys gonna stay at? And I was like, dude, not this again. We don't know where we're gonna go. And the dude sees three dudes in the car all packed together. And uh, we're like, you know, we're all comfortable. So like hugging on each other, whatever else we know, our arms are close. And he's like, okay. So he takes us to the heart of Boys Town, okay? And he drops us off in this hotel. Now, the, the hotel is called the Penthouse Hotel, okay? So hold on a second. If I could, I would do this, but let me do this here. Um, penthouse, I'm gonna find it because it's that good. Um, penthouse Hotel. It's, I promise it's worth this, 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 uh, in, in, um, Patia, you know, Mike, you know, we, on this podcast where we chase stories. So Matt, take all the time you need, you know, T1 has got a great set of stories. I think we're going to be in that neighborhood right now. You know, like, you know, T1 style story, Mike, <laughs> coming right oh, out. For, oh, yes. Yes, you are. So, um, yeah, hold on. I'm pulling it up right now. All right, so this is the room. So we walk in there and I'm like, hey man, yeah, like let's do this. Why don't you guys go ahead and give me your, your penthouse? Because we have four of us. And they're like, they're like, hey man, the penthouse only fits two people per. So you have to do pen, two penthouses. All right, bet. It sounds great. They're like, well, there's four different five penthouses on the top floor. All right, great. Sounds good. Sight unseen. Let me get them. So so I'm like, all right, it sounds great, man. So we we walk upstairs to the first room, okay? And this is there we go. This here is the first room we walk into. You ready for this? Oh my gosh. You see that? It's like a mini strip club. Dude, there's dildos on the wall. There's like sex wings everywhere. There's like all this craziness. And I see those lights and I'm like, hey dude, I'm gonna kill somebody if I stay in here. Like there's no way that I can have those lights on in my bedroom, there's no way. That's where we ended up staying in that room. Like that one and another one that looked almost just like that, but not a psychedelic. It looks like Ronald McDonald ate a bunch of acid and then puked everywhere and then colored in his puke. Yeah, I know. That... <laughs> That's the room that we stayed in. It was absolutely bananas. There's dildos affixed to the wall. Dude, they were wooden. They were floppy. I mean, it was everything you could possibly imagine. It was insane. Insane. Mike, Mike, just like you, Mike's booking a ticket to Thailand right now. <laughs> he got me a floppy. <laughs> it was incredible, dude. Like, it was like something I I could never even have imagined if I didn't know about it. And so and it was on top of a brothel. And I was like, dude, I, I it's I can't just mm-mm, nope. That's nope. wild. I heard it, Patty. They said it's the main industry there. It's just, dude, it's, it's 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 like it's like. 
It's like being in the internet. It's it, that's what it is. You're in the internet. <laughs> yeah, anything goes, kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. So for somebody that's just you know kind of walked off the football field into the cage at this time, you get the highest striking differential in heavyweight history at plus nineteen percent, and you've yeah. got ten fights in the UFC. Yeah. I didn't really find um, I didn't find the transition to be that difficult because they they they. I mean, let's be totally honest, they spoon-fed me. They could have given me – well, there weren't a whole lot of wrestlers back then, right? There weren't, like, a lot of college All-Americans. It was more like the tough guy guy, right? And I'm way more athletic than any tough guy. But a college – a collegiate wrestler that's very accomplished has a completely different skill set than an athlete, right? It's a completely different and developed skill set. Um, and I didn't really uh, – I never got a flavor of that um, really, like, kind of a, a, until later on. But like I felt like I was successful and I lost because of mistakes. Um, that's why I say like I don't ever feel like I got outstruck and my ass whooped. I felt like I, I made some mistakes. I think the, the like Roy knocked me down was the first guy to knock me down, and he won from that. Um, and like, but other than that, like it was just it was a bunch of learning curves. It was a bunch of learning experiences. I, mean, I had a really good time, um, but then like the older I started to get, the more I started to realize that um, that. I was causing more damage than I was. Um, I was causing permanent damage to other people. And that made me feel pretty damn guilty, to be honest. Like, like I would have people come up and be like, dude, I don't remember. I, you know, I have memory problems after our fights, whatever else. Are you having those too? No, no, I'm not. Like, and I started like bothering me. Like, you know, they're like, hey, man, I'm forgetting this. I hear stories about how this guy's having a lot of mental issues now. And it just really caused me significant problems over it, bad and stuff. And that's when like, it started being like, it was much more difficult to pull triggers and, and, and hurt people. Mm -hmm. uh, but you also were kind of like a magnet for like bizarre instances yeah. in your career. And yeah. it really starts with uh, UFC 175, July 5th, 2014. Oh, you were fighting so Stefan Struve. Yeah. Why don't you explain, walk us through what took place? Well, Stefan was down there too. Struve was down at the Black Zillions. He was in there too. <laughs> like, like... Yeah, man, totally. Um, that was nuts. We were warming up. We were ready. We were ready to whoop him. Like, we were going to hit him with a high kick to start the fight, right in his mouth. Uh, I put my toes in his face. Like That was part of the plan from the jump, like to let him know no matter where he went, how tall he was, he wasn't safe. And we knew that he would he would bail out head over heels, so he would be off balance quite a bit. We knew that, too. So um, we had a good game plan, like uh, a one double two, but the second two was, was a step and a half in, was like a, a shift step. And we knew that we'd land a, a big overhand on him or a big straight. So uh, jab straight, shifts that big straight overhand right again. Um, almost the same thing that we were doing on Travis Brown. Uh, it was a very similar uh, series. And uh, and we knew that it was going to land. We just knew it. I, had, I, I, I felt like I would have whooped him. But who knows? You know, he was really good on the ground. That cat is so long from training with him. He's so long and has so much leverage in positions you would never expect him to have leverage in. It's crazy. Grappling him is a an unpleasant experience. So Stefan passed, passed out backstage and, you know, he battled a lot of mental issues as well, physical issues with his heart. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, when did they tell you that your fight was canceled? Well, they have a video of it. They came in um, and they were like, uh, they're like, Hey dude, like it was like, I was warming up. So like, I usually don't warm up until like 20, 15, 20, 30 minutes, maybe 30 minutes before a fight. Like I'm usually sleeping or doing something else. And, um, and it was weird. Like it was, uh, they came in and said it and I was like, 
how's he doing? You know, like, what's going on? Can I go talk to him? Uh, and then he was crying in the back, crying in the shower. Uh, and I was like, dude, don't worry about it, man. Like, handle your own business. Don't worry about it. It's not, not that big of a deal. Um, but that affected him drastically. Drastically. It, just, it changed who he was. But it was weird. Like, Struve is, Struve is exceptional. Exceptional. And he uses his distance so well in practice. And he's so long and he's impossible to touch. I mean, just a, it is a, uh, just a bitch of a mission to get a jab in or a punch in on him in practice. But when he fights, it seemed like he didn't fight as long as he was. And it seemed like he, he would almost grow impatient with his jab and want to get up on somebody and, and probably just grapple. But I mean, dude, he was, he was so good at grappling that he could just, just kick the crap out of people. And like, if he got a hold of them, they were, they almost didn't have a chance. Yeah, yeah. He he actually retired, unretired. I mean, he's he's a warrior, man. I respect. Yeah, sure. I really respect. And he's him such a, lot. a good dude. Struve's a dope dude. He's a really good person. Hmm. Derek Lewis is on an eight-fight win streak. He's eleven and two with eleven finishes. He decides to call you out. You guys fight September fifth, two thousand fourteen at UFC Fight Night. Yeah. Yeah, I was so offended that he said my name and said it incorrectly. I was at that fight because I was supposed to fight Struve the night before. And um, and so we we got paid. We got paid both my show and my win. And Chris and Chris and I were out there. What's that? Shit, show and win for yeah, Struve. Bad, right? And I didn't even fight, so it wasn't that bad. And um, so Struve gets paid, I get paid. And uh, we're out there drinking and partying. We're out and watching the fights. And um, Derek Lewis beats our teammate. Um, a guy named Guto Innocent beats Guto, grabbed a hold of him and slammed him on the ground and kind of molly whopped him a little bit. Um, and uh, after he beats Guto, he calls me out by name and I wasn't listening because I don't really care, you know. And then somebody, everybody started looking at me and they were like, he just called you out. And so I stood up on the chair and I gave him the finger and I was like, cool, sounds great. Um, and, um, and then from that point on, like I knew I, we practiced so much like here, I, I, I did this camp here in Indiana and, um, and I was a, uh, I was talking so much shit that whole camp because I was so offended that dude said my name. I was so offended. Like, how dare you try to say my name? I don't even know who the hell you are, you know? Um, and I wasn't worried about how big he was or how strong he was or the fact that he had tattoos everywhere, that he was black. I, I, I couldn't care less. Um, and so I told him, I'm going to stand over your unconscious body after I knock you out. Uh, and I think he probably thought I was playing. Uh, and so once I knocked him out, I stood over his unconscious body. Look, I made sure he knew you don't say my name in public. What's up, Christopher? We're talking about Derek Lewis. Yep, I remember that. So that's what I did. So I, like, I, 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 when I, once I knocked him out, that's what I did. I stood over the top of him because he shouldn't have said my name. He became a big star after that. Yeah, he did. Well, he's got a fun fighting style. You know, he's not a punk. Um, I like Derek. I think Derek's a good dude. I think he's an entertaining fight and he's got a great personality. Um, I'm just a man. So if you say my name, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let you know why you shouldn't do that. He's got one of the best Instagrams. Like if you guys are fight fans, he's got a wild Instagram. Yeah. I hear it. I hear it. I hear it. It's, it's great. Yeah. 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 Um, at this time you're with paradigm management. Was that, was that, was that, with, uh, um, what's his name? Audi. 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 Yeah. How was your experience with them? How's your experience with any management company for the most part? You know, actually, that's not true. I got along great with Matt Aptier, great with Matt Aptier. And I really had a great time with him. 
Um, but with Audie or like with Malky or with Brian Butler or with whomever, I find they're all the same way. They're just, they overpromise, they underdeliver. They, uh, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of a uh, character there. I felt in some time, in some situations, um, I just didn't necessarily didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't, it was okay. I, I was more destined to manage myself and have a contract, a lawyer on retainer. That's what it was for. Cause I'm too stubborn. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm too intelligent to let other people handle my money. And I'm way too stubborn to let other people handle my money. Matt, Matt did catch the early in his career, the, the beginning of the pop. So that's how... <laughs> actually that's, that's probably the biggest reason that I, cause I learned so much about the pop <laughs> and I came from the NFL, which is like unscrupulous management isn't allowed. Like they have to take all these tests and like, but then people are still so dumb that they still hire the same agent and financial advisor. Like, who the hell does stuff like that? I was watching this thing the other day, Christopher, with this um, with this dude. He was an NFL guy, and he's like, my he was a receiver. I'm trying to remember his name right now. Um, and his his manager or his agent, and it was his financial advisor, and he took everything, everything he had. He's like, I had to completely reinvent myself. I can't. I was like, dude, how are you? How do you let that happen? But then again, like it happens a lot, right? Everybody's got a Ponzi scheme. Everybody's got a hustle. It's whether or not you fall for it. This, there should be a study on guys that just hypnotize other human beings to give them everything. It's truly fascinating. What's that movie? Uh, is that uh, where the dude like there, there, there's like a, a street hustler and um, I can't remember. I, I, I can't even begin to describe it. But like some like it shows how some dude gets hustled and he's like he thought he was a hustler and a swindler, and he got hustled by this other situation. I can't remember what it was, but it was a financial. Had John um, Luguiziamo in it, didn't it? And John Luguiziamo thought he was the hustler, and then he getting caught in a Ponzi scheme, and all of his money got got. Yeah, dude, it's nuts. You know, in it's the nuts. Price, you've got the example of like Don King and Mike Tyson, where, you know, you know, but Mike, Mike would have his bonuses was paying Don King's secretary salary and stuff like that, and he would just sign checks. He didn't even know what he was signing, you know what I mean? So it's sad. Yeah, a lot of guys get taken advantage of where, you know, you're lucky in that where you said it, you, you know, you're a little smarter than your average bear, so you don't get caught that much. But a lot of guys have to give up responsibility for that stuff. Well, you know what, what's interesting? Like, I remember Mike Tyson. Wasn't it Mike? It was somebody. I probably wasn't Mike. I don't know if he had this much depth back in the day. But um, somebody said, I'd, I'd rather be with, I'd rather, I, I know that I'm going to, that, that Don King's going to take this much money from me, but at least I'm still getting this much. So we knew that Don was going to be pilfering X amount of percentage <laughs> off of him, but he was still at least hip to the fact that he's getting more money than he would with anybody else. Yeah, that makes sense, really. Do you, I mean, do you remember that? Do you remember whoever that was? I don't remember, but there's a good point to it, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> If they're getting you more money than anybody else would, at the end of the day, you end up with more money. That's that's it is what it is. You know, I don't care if they take forty percent or fifty percent or ten percent. If I end up with more money, at the end of the day, what's the matter? Hey, was that movie called Empire? Yeah, Empire. That's what it was. John Luisiamo movie. Okay. Yeah, I like it. There you go. I like it. You had a role, and they put you up against uh, Gabriel Gonzaga, December thirteenth, two thousand fifteen. The first minute of that fight, he cracked you with the uh, right hand that knocked you back. How concerned were you? No, he stepped on my foot. Really? Yeah, he stepped on my foot. Righty and lefty fighting each other. They're going to step on each other's foot. It's most, a good portion of the time. So he stepped on my foot. It looked like he knocked me back, but he didn't. He stepped on my foot. 
Yeah, you had extra bounce in your step too. Well, he was pretty flat-footed. Yeah, yeah. Was this your game plan going into that? Well, we knew that we knew that he was going to try to get a hold of me, right? Like uh, he had a great knockout on his life with um, with what's his name, uh, Krokop. Um, so we knew that he was going to try to uh, get his hands on me and close the distance. So what we wanted to do, we had a shift step, back step, hook. Um, so instead of having my left with my straight, my my straight, we step back and it turns in, use my minimum on my hip swinging backwards and use it as a hook. Um, and that's why I was waiting for him to commit to it, but he was throwing body punches with a straight. So he was saying straights to my body, which uh, I was surprised. And I think he was trying to set up his, uh, his, his double with that. And I think he got a little too close and I was able to hit him with that step back hook. And that's what dropped him. And then, um, and then I was able to just kind of go over the top, but I didn't want to grapple with him. So I didn't want to smother him up too tight where he'd be one of the roll I was going to fall into. Like he's like a, a Gramby roll me or something like that. Um, so I sat back and I was punching him and he saw the referee's feet. And I think that he stopped protecting himself and I stopped because I didn't want to get grappled. And then when he popped himself up because he thought the fight was over, I punched him one last time and the ref stopped it. I, Henry I was, Hooft was in your corner. I'll take that. Yeah. Henry, that? Hooft, Henry Hooft was in your corner. Yeah, that might have been. Yeah, we because I remember we were warming up on carpet and I got I got um we remember in the hotel warming up. Chris, were you out there for that? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Cause remember we were warming up in the uh, hotel the day of, and we were moving around quite a bit. Cause remember we had to, wasn't that when I was shoving? Like I was going to shove them, isn't that right? I think so. I can't. I'm trying to get. All you and I were moving, and you're like, you're like the shove keeps throwing me off. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was what it was. I was going to shove him if he got close enough, or if I was smothering him up, if I was coming in on him aggressively. Once he showed up, I was going to shove him to make him freak out to catch his balance and have a step back, and then I was going to come into a game and start wearing him out. So we had a we had a game plan for that. Well, I remember that that worked so well against like Derek Lewis and that field, the, the, the phrase is when you when you when you got that football bam and you hit people it, it knocks you back and you like it takes you a minute to recover from it. Yeah, yeah. You get three knockouts in a row at this time. You're the hottest heavyweight in the UFC right now. It's not a champion. Yeah. Isn't it strange like where you came from? Like how they just they had an entire series. Just to badmouth you and shit on you, you know, with the Ultimate Fighter, and now, you know, a few fights later, you're like, wait a minute, you know, the, you're in contention for a world title fight. Yeah, um, no, no, it wasn't weird because I'm I'm so cocky that it that it doesn't surprise me, right? Like I, I feel like if I'm gonna do something, I do it very well, especially back then when I was still bulletproof, you know. Um, it was fun, but also like I had Chris. And like, and I mean this. Like, I'm not not to toot your horn, Chris, but like, like, Chris was so accomplished and was so good at all the things Chris had done that I could use him as a sounding board. And there were even situations that I found myself in that Chris hadn't, but he had had so much experience and had so much um, uh, knowledge of the game and what other people had been through that he was able to, to guide me very, very well and give me advice and like, and mentor me in a lot of ways. And, um, and it was very unique. I was, I'm extremely fortunate to have, um, or to have had a person like Chris from the jump, like from the first day I walked into the gym uh, and they were like, hey, this, this guy's kind of an asshole, but he can move around a little bit. So let's keep him around. And so they just kind of kept, they kept an eye on me, you know, like might've sent me to the corner every once in a while, but they still kept an eye on me. <laughs> no, nah, man, it was, uh, it, it was always good just because like you said, I, I remember after the ultimate fight, I remember Matt talking to me, like, wasn't a good experience on the things that place sucked. But I remember talking to him afterwards, like, Hey man, 
that's just the thing to get your name out there. Like now this is what happens from here. You know, mm-hmm. after what you do from now is what you're gonna count, not what happened there. And he came out and killed it and had a good personality. People liked him immediately after the show was over. Like like I said, the show was one thing, but afterwards he had a very quick transition to where he became very fan friendly instantaneously after a couple of fights. You know what I mean? So it didn't like it wasn't like a two-year rehab. It was like as soon as he fought, like that shit's over. People know who you are now. Let's see where it goes from here. And then he did great and people liked him right away. It was weird to see how much, um, how many people still talked about the Ultimate Fighter uh, or Tough Ten, even at the end of my career. Like people would still be like, "Hey, man, I, that was my favorite. I used to hate you then, or whatever else. I took me so long to light you afterwards. Cool, man. I don't really care. Like, love me or hate me, I don't care. You're still gonna watch either watch me lose or watch me win, right? But you're not gonna not watch because I'm too exciting. So it was cool because it got my name out there. Uh, and got me a lot of marketing money, a lot of sponsorship money early. Hmm. So you got three knockouts in a row. You go up against Ben Rothwell, June 6, 2016. You guys had a couple common opponents with Brendan Schaub. You lost against him. Ben Rothwell beat him. Gabriel Gonzaga, you beat him. Ben Rothwell lost against him. It's it's kind of a coin toss type flight type fight. Well, you know, so I had already sparred Ben several times, and I got the best of Ben a lot in, in, in some practice situations, and we had gone pretty hard in, 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 over at Duke Rufus's. So I felt like I knew Ben pretty well, um, and I felt like I was going to smoke Ben, uh, and I got so cocky that in the fight it felt like my hands were magnets. And everything I threw went straight to his face. I mean, I couldn't miss his face, it felt like. Um, I, I, I didn't know much about him, like kind of like his, his durability-wise, but I know that we had scrapped and I wasn't concerned about his stand-up at all. Um, and then I was in the fight and I was punching him and I was like, you know what? I'm going to beat him in his own game. I'm going to take him down and, bra- and, and maul him. And I tried that blast double and totally missed it, caught me that 10-finger choke and bang, he got me, buddy. But it's because it was, I got over cocky, got overconfident. And MMA is a funny sport, man. As soon as you get that cocky, you're going to get humbled pretty damn quick. You know what's funny is so often we see in this sport the people who – how many how many ground about Matt Hughes and those guys when they start, I'm going to be a stand-up guy. Or whenever these guys are really good at one craft and they say, I'm going to be a stand-up guy or whatever, it's like you always want to do – what you don't do the best. Like you want to prove I work on this. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I think we, that's exactly what thought happened there. Cause we never even really talked about much of a takedown. We talked about faking some takedowns to try and keep it. But I mean, Matt was just like, I'm going to take this dude down. I think you always just want to show how good you are. At all I've worked really hard at these takedowns. I've worked really hard on the ground. I want to showcase it. So when he kind of shot in for the takedown, I remember me and Henry, we were, we didn't say a word for about a minute and a half. We all just kind of looked at each other like, what, what, what just happened? You know what I mean? Cause Matt was, couldn't look better on his feet. And then all of a sudden he shot a takedown we never talked about. We're like, we were all kind of dumbfounded, man. It was, it was a bad one. So that, bad remember, we were, remember we were back. We were back at like after we caught the bus to back to the hotel. And I was like, I can't believe I did that. Like, <laughs> why on earth did I? Do you remember that? I was like, why yeah, did I do that? That's what we were just like, I don't, I don't, nobody I don't thought, thought that was a possibility. <laughs> Me neither, apparently. <laughs> How much bigger than you was Rothwell? Because I know you're, you're a better athlete, but he could move. And he's just Big. massive. Like he cuts. Well, he wasn't that much bigger. Cut. I think I was probably. I was probably. I was probably. That's when I was. I was probably cutting weight back then. I was probably two seventy two, two seventy five, something like that. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I don't think he was that much bigger. He's you know, tall. Ben, ben I mean, just signed with the. 
You know, Ben just signed with BKFC. I saw him the other day, man. He's he's still looking big. Big as ever. He's, he's, a, he's fighting him for us here soon. He's signed. We got that uh, Greg Hardy just signed. So they were both at that fight. I saw him kind of – I saw Rothwell kind of eyeball him. So, hell, maybe that's something in the future. They're Greg Hardy signed things. with you guys for bare knuckle? Uh, we're, get, we're getting nothing but the – Nothing but the best of the old UFC. <laughs> ben, Ben's going to fight Bare Knuckle? Yeah. Get that paycheck, Ben. Go get hey, it. We'll, we'll see what happens. I think uh, I think he can do really well there, man. I don't know. We'll see what happens. He's slow, though. He's durable, but he's slow. Like that, That's imagine, not good. That's not good in this sport. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I don't – like, I like Ben. I just don't – I don't know if I see the, the his, his skill set translating to because you got to have some quick hands get in and out over there but, but you can also do some grappling it takes an ass whooping you can do some grappling in here though so he can push that guy against the the, the, the ropes and just start you know dirty, dirty boxing if uh-huh. he can do some of that he can push the people around he's a big strong guy for that i mean he's strong for sure that's what i mean so he could be a problem if he's smart about how he fights mm, that's what you're saying you know because this is not we've had a lot of like pure boxers in there We've had like three or four world champs, and they have not done well at all. Really? No, they haven't. Well, I mean, it's a completely different sport, right? I mean, it's exactly bare knuckle. Being a being a bare knuckle pugilist is totally different than boxing. One that's what people don't realize. It's funny. So many guys be like, they're like, I'm just gonna box. I'm gonna box. Like, all right, we'll see how that works. And then they Good get in like, this is not boxing. <laughs> they they yeah. figure out their second fight. Like, now that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, when's that MVP fight? August twentieth. Dude, that's gonna be bananas. I can't. I'm, I don't know anything about you guys' roster, but I cannot wait to watch that. They got. They just signed a Paige Van Sant on that same card now in London. Um, that Joe Elmore versus Connor Cherry. Man, this card is gonna be sick. It's gonna be the best one we've ever had by far. I want to go to that card. I want to go to that card. I'm gonna. Go to, I even endure London traffic to go to that fight. <laughs> and the I, I can't wait. Hey, remember when we went to Bellator and we had to fight uh, Ali Thompson over there? And um, and we're like, I don't really want to go to the the, the O2 that early. They're like, all right, just show up whenever. All right, sounds great. Hey, we 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 there we there for that fight? I had that, no. No, I had that Jake Shields grappling match the same. That's that right. Your fight on, on the on and the Henry couldn't go. That's right. You you nor Henry could go that. And then that grappling thing, yeah. So. Yeah, I totally forgot about that, dude. I remember because that's when I forgot to warm up. <laughs> Forgot to warm up. Man. I wasn't there. We wouldn't let that happen if we were there. So that's right. I, I forgot to warm Jones up. There? Huh? Was Ed Jones there? Ed was there. Ed and okay. Coach Pat. Okay. Ed and Coach Pat. And I just completely forgot to warm up. <laughs> hey, you can just tell, like, where you are mentally in your fight game at that point. It's like, oh, hold on. Wait. Checked out. I was supposed to warm up. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. With Ben Rothwell, we're going to get to Ali Thompson. With Ben Rothwell, he was 34-9 at the time, ranked yeah. number nine in the world. He was the underdog going into that fight. Yeah, he should have been. Like, I should have I should have won. But, like, I, if my head nuts, she'd been my uncle. Like, um, you know, it's like, ben, Ben's durable. Ben's smart. Ben knows what he's doing. Um, but also, like, like, I like Ben. If I see him now, I'll talk to him for sure. I have no problem with him. Um, but Ben knew that was a very dangerous fight for him. Like, I was. At that time, I was pretty damn dangerous. Um, but like, hey man, some sometimes you need a little dose of humility. Sometimes, probably, I got it in ten fingers. What was it like working out with Pat Perry? I love Pat. Pat's a great dude. Um, Pat is uh, 
is a grinder. He works hard. Um, he's got a great work ethic. He's got a great personality to lighten any mood. Uh, but he also is very good at keeping it serious. He's very good. At, he's a good coach. He's really good at, um, at at showing you what you're good at. And then he's very good at showing you what you're not. Um, <clears throat> and he was, um, he's a great dude. I care a tremendous amount about him. Yeah. He's got an interesting career too. He fought in a tournament. We've been trying to track that guy down for months. He's impossible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He fought a tournament where he was supposed to win like a hundred grand mm. and th the Japanese like mafia at payday just go, wait, we're going to mail you your check here. Here's a free t-shirt or your sweatshirt kicked him out of the room and he never even got paid. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. He's got an interesting career. Um, from there, January 17, 2016, you took Ronda Rousey's right-hand man, Travis Brown, in the main event, UFC <laughs> fight night. You know, it was weird. Like, that's another one we knew. I knew, <clears throat> excuse me, I knew I was going to whoop his ass. I knew he didn't take a punch very well. Um, we had such a good series. It was a jab, step off to the left, straight, step back, straight, straight hook. Um, and I knew it was going to land. I knew because he, he bails out with his head over his heels like Stephen Struve did. Every tall guy does. Um, and uh, we knew it was going to land. I knew it was going to land. I was going to kill him. And I dropped him in the first on something. I can't remember. Um, and when he poked me in my eye, like, remember when he poked me in my eye, it was like, it wasn't, it was bad, but it wasn't nearly as bad as the second one was. And then, um, when the second one happened, like, I remember, like, I couldn't see anything. Like, I was like double vision bad. I was fighting with one eye closed. I was trying to blink it out or whatever else. And I couldn't see very well. When I stopped the fight, like the ref wouldn't let me find, I, he wouldn't tell me what was going on. The only person I could talk to was, was the doc. The doc didn't really have that much. I was like, I just need my five minutes. And he's like, no, you can't have your five minutes. Remember that, Chris? Yeah. yeah. He was like, no. I wouldn't get it to you. I don't know. I don't know. Because I stopped the fight, right? Because I stopped it and the ref didn't stop it. Isn't that what it was or something? But they didn't give it, they didn't explain it much. And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what, what the repercussions were. And then like, I didn't know what was happening. And, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it, man. Like if I don't, if, if, fuck it. I'll go out of my shield. Fuck it. Um, and I already knew I was going to be leaving, uh, leaving the UFC. So it was a situation like, fuck it, dude. Let the show must come on. Like, how are you going to be your, how are you going to let your last fight in the UFC end in something like that? Like, All right, so Travis Brown, he's finished 15 of, of his 17 fights, 13 by KO. He's got like six post-fight bonuses. You were trying to time him. Like you were trying to time his movements and you would kind of rush in and he would open finger just kind of just to start like part of his game plan was to gouge people in their eyes. No, no, that, that he, I don't think he was cheap like that. I think he's a dick, but I don't think he's cheap like that. I think that he, um, he didn't know how to handle fighting going backwards. He hit most strikers can't fight going backwards, right? Most strikers can't strike going backwards. Kickers can't kick going backwards. So he didn't know how to defend himself because he was always so used to having an intimidating presence. But I'm a pressure fighter. So since I'm a pressure fighter, that means you're going to take steps backwards. I'm most likely not. Um, and he uh, he didn't handle that very well. So when he did, he freaked out. And only all he could do was extend his arm because, remember, I said he went head over heels. You go head over heels, you have no athleticism. So all you can do, you can't move left or right. All you can do is extend your arm out to stop somebody from coming in. Why did you know you were leaving the UFC? Because I already had a meeting with Joe Sil with um, with Lorenzo Fertitta, 
And uh, <laughs> I went in there, like uh, they offered me, I think I was at 30 and 30. And I think, and I've always been on main events or main cards. I, I was like, I can't remember what my record was at the time. I had like, I think I was maybe like nine and four or something like that. Like eight wins by knockout. Um, and like, I can't remember what it was, blah, 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 right? Um, I had never been, never been like knocked out or whatever. I, hell, I don't remember what it was. Uh, and they offered me like, I think it was like 37 and 37. And I told Joe Silva, like, I was like, hey, this is what you guys think I'm worth and go fuck yourself. Like, how dare you call me up with this bullshit fucking offer? <laughs> And I was so pissed. Um, and what then, were you uh, expecting? I don't know, sure as fuck wasn't 37 to 37, I'll tell you that much. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't that. Did, did your uh, manager not take that phone call? No, I, I handled a lot of my business myself. Um, so then um, so then I didn't know. I think this is when I was, I was probably starting to work with Matt Aptiker as, as in like a lawyer on retainer. Um, and then I get a phone call a little bit later. I think it's from Lorenzo. And Lorenzo was like, I understand you have a problem with our offer. And I was like, yeah, if it's if it's 37 and 37, that's legitimate. Fuck yeah, I have a problem with that offer. And why? I was like, well, do you want to talk about that now? Or do you want me to come out there and handle it face to face? And he goes, well, come on out face to face. Let's talk about it. So, I, so I, I, I buy my own ticket. I pay for my own hotel. I go out there and I go to my own meeting with Lorenzo. And I have a, just a stack of information. This is when that book called Fightnomics came out. Do you guys remember this a little while ago? Um, well, a book called Fightnomics came out and it was like a, 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 an accountant, bean counter, blah, 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 smart ass dude had such a quantifiable database of numbers and positions. And when you fought on your card, what your position on the card was, uh, how many times you've been televised, how many bonuses you got and took like this, this interesting position on what your value should be worth media wise and presentation wise and sponsorship wise. So all this is going on, I reached out to the dude and I was like, hey man, let's have a conversation about some stuff. And this is where I think I'm at. Now, the bad part is this is before um, the Fertitas sold the UFC. So there are predominantly, there are two different purses. There's one purse that they turn into the commission and there's another purse is what they give you in the locker room afterwards. So they have to, they have to let you, they have to notify the commission or publish what that commission check is. So say if they're going to make it, $48,000. But then when you, after you fight, you go back there and you get a check for $340,000. So you get like, you're fighting for 388 or whatever the hell the number is, right? So like whatever that number is, they then they give you the real check back there, but they don't have to relieve it because on the contract, it says you're fighting for 48. And then the back on the bottom side of the contract, it says, but in the locker room, you also be given this discretionary check of this much, blah, blah, blah. So you, the dude, the, the fightnomics guy never had a chance to really know what the purse was, but he knew the value of the position, which you were at and he could quantify it. So I went in there and I told him I wanted, I was at 30 and 30 and I told him I wanted um, exponentially higher, multiple times higher. Uh, and Lorenzo's like, no, he's like, he's like, why are you, he's like, He's like, so what? He's like, let me get this straight. <laughs> so let me get this straight. He's like, so you're in here, you don't have an attorney, and you're in here with me, just talking with me straight out. I was like, yeah. I was like, because I, I know exactly, I know I'm right. I know my value, and I know what uh, what my position's worth and my my personality. Um, I was like, so uh, I need this much money. It's like this is what I need. I don't I don't need to. If I'm one of your biggest names, and I'm always in, uh, uh, I'm on the third side, I'm either the curtain jerker for the main event, because you guys want people to pay attention, or for the main card, 
or I'm, I'm middle to keep people paying attention, or I'm the co-main or main, then you guys know exactly where I'm at. I'm never the forgotten about fight on, 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 the, on the main card. And every one of my fights have been main card. Every one of my fights have been televised. I was like, so if you guys want me to go through all this information and quantify it and blah, 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 we can do that. Or we can just talk. And he goes, let's just talk. So he goes, I'm not going to give you this much money. He's like, but what I will do is I'll double it and I'll, I'll give you 70 and 70. So they more than doubled it, right? They beat up by like, what, 110%, 120%, 125%, something like that. Quick math, son, Purdue. And um, then he goes, uh, he goes, but I'll, I'll double it. I'll give you 70 and 70. And this is for me to fight Travis. <clears throat> and I was like, no, like, what I want is a flat purse. I don't fight safe. So if you want to reward me for fighting safe, then that's then then give me a split purse. But reward me for fighting the way I fight and just give me money so I don't have to worry about budgeting my, my, my life. I know exactly how much you're going to get every single time. And that way I can set my life easier. I'll even take less money then, then, a, then, like, if you're going to tell me I'll give you 100 and 100 as a split, no, give me 160 as a flat, and I'll take 160 as a flat, just because I know exactly where I'm going to be at. Um, and uh, and Lorenzo's like, no, we can't do that. And I was like, right, then we just don't have a deal, you know, and, and that was it. And we were cool about it. But then we started talking about USADA. And he's like, you're one of the few, the last people that won't sign the USADA. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I, I am. And I won't sign it either. And he's like, well, why, why will you not sign it? And I said, because it's, it's a hustle. It's a scam. He goes, well, how is it a scam? Explain it to me. And I told him because you guys, unless you guys drop test every single person on the UFC roster within two days, right? Like not two days from that point, but two days, you guys get every single person on the UFC roster drop tested at that point and test for every single steroid and everything, everything else then it'll never be an honest test. And he goes, well, what do you mean? So you guys are doing the bio biological passport, right? What the biological passport does is it makes a, a marker all the time at where my testosterone and my, um, what's that, uh, the chick test, what's it called? The chick estrogen. 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 It makes a marker where my estrogen is and where my testosterone is at all times. So if I'm good at taking steroids and I pay them <laughs> out, right? Then I'm always going to be roughly at the same position because I have no my time frame. I have a good I have a good register, so I can be elevated on all kinds of testosterone. And if I never flutter from top to bottom too much within within certain position, then you're never going to know, and I can run gear for the rest of my life, and I can be cheating all my whole way through. I was like, and if I don't, then I'm not going to do it. It's like, but that's the only reason I'm not going to sign it until you guys do something like that. And he was like, you know what? I've never heard that argument before. <laughs> He's like, so. He brought the, that drug czar up, that Mike guy, whatever his name was. No, it's, uh, come on, uh, the Golden Snitch is what his nickname yeah, is. Yeah, that dude. They brought the snitch up. So, so. Who's uh, a coward? He, huh? That guy's a coward. Yeah, whatever that was his name. Yeah, he's a dude's a hoe. But anyways, so they brought me down there. Um, and then we had, like, Lorenzo was like, hey, man, I want you to hear this position on it. So I told him the same thing. And then dude was asking all kinds of questions. And we were talking about, like, uh, um, He's asking you questions that you like specific ones that you wouldn't have the answers to. He never tests for EPO. It's the same guy that dug through the garbage of Lance Armstrong five years after his last race just to try to catch him and then go and say, well, John Jones isn't using designer steroids. He's saving. He's Stop. full of shit. He's full of shit. Yeah. So that, that dude. Um, and then, and then, and so that was my last fight. That's what it was like with Travis. It was cool. Like, I obviously wish I, I have a, have a, a lasting mark from it right here. You see that right there? Oh. Matt, 
Man. So you left the UFC. Was did you guys? Did you and Lorenzo when you guys parted ways? Did you shake hands or was there any? Lorenzo, Lorenzo, I'm sure if I ever saw him, it would be cool. Like I, I've got no problem with Lorenzo or Dana. I like Dana. Hey, I, I got a question for you. So now you go to Bellator, or did you have like yes. some type of negotiations or a figure visit? But like, were you already flirting with that, or were you already off out of the UFC? Because like. That might affect how much money you get from Bellator too. If you were already cut by them, no. How no, that work but, out? But, but Bellator needed talent. Bellator needed names, and they needed heavyweights, and they needed personalities. So it was I was all the above. I was a heavyweight. I was a name. I was a talent, and I was a, I was a personality. So I was I was I was the golden egg for them, and they were just trying to remember. It was just it was Phil Davis, and then it was Ben Henderson, and then it was me. And um, Ben doesn't have the personality. He's, he, has, he, has the, he had the name, he had the fighting style. Um, but, and he, remember, he think he came out and he lost his first two. So Ben lost some thunder pretty quickly there. And then um, after that, then when I came, uh, it was, it was, it was a, an easy negotiation. I was like, listen, I want this much money. Um, and it was more than I asked for at, at the UFC. Like, because I was ready to stop. I was ready to be done. Didn't matter to me. Um, and I want flat perks, and I want this, and I want that. So I gave them like this long list of demands, and they met them. Wow. I remember, I, I remember when this happened. I remember thinking for the first time. I mean, Beltro went out, and they were signing some good guys. They went and got Matt, like I said, Ben Henderson, uh, geez, Canadian guy. I can't remember. Any, anyway, I remember thinking, man, they could actually, they could actually do something because they're actually paying what the UFC won't. And I was like, this is, the, that was the last time I ever thought that Bellator had a chance to do anything. After that, they kind of dropped the ball. The UFC actually started paying. And I don't know if it was different Fox deals or what exactly happened, ESPN, but UFC started paying. I don't know if it's because of stuff like this. And then uh, Bellator's never recovered. The well, you, you like, know what it was too, Chris. It was that Bellator was always afraid to carry the torch. They never wanted to be risque or aggressive or sort of Dana was fearless about a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And like whatever whatever the decision that had to be made was, Dana would make it. And Dana would say yes. And when it would come down to it, Viacom and, and, and Coker would wait to see how how Dana's decision went and how 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 the, what the repercussions were or the, the rewards were. Yeah. Then they would try to do something. So they were always reactive all the time. I I had a weird conspiracy theory at one point and just thinking there's no way Coker isn't working for the UFC. Some of his moves were just so awful. Well, it was an interesting time over there. And like it, it, uh, it very quickly um, got me. I didn't, I didn't mind the UFC when I was in the UFC. Um, that's my daughter. Um, hello girl. How are you doing? Hi. Um, I didn't mind the UFC when I was in it. I didn't mind fighting when I was in it. Um, but I got quickly, I got jaded quickly when I was with Bellator. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So they gave you your money, but does it feel like a, a B-class show now that you've been, you know, coming there from the UFC? Does it have, or do they match up, like, in everything? No, really? it, was, it was, Chris, I think you can co-side on this. It was definitely a, a sideshow. It was a spectacle compared to what the UFC was. The UFC is such a well-oiled machine. Um, it was cool. I didn't, I didn't mind it, um, but there were just things that, like, like the, in the UFC, you always know when you're going to fight, you always know, like if you have Bert, you have whoever else, you know, exactly which time you got, you got 35 minutes, you got 28 minutes, you got this much, you got that much. You always know what you're going. Hey, it's time for us to get warmed up here because of this. Bellator, literally, 
literally throw you in a room and then they'll come up, hey, you're up fighting, in, you're fighting in two minutes. You're up. <laughs> like, it, Chris, you would agree to that? It reminded me of a time machine where you go back and you're like, you're going to fight UFC 18. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, or by, you're going to fight 2005 in some, or 2002 in some house, you know what I mean? So it was, they, they had a lot of the theatrical stuff, but a, a lot of the infrastructure wasn't there. So yeah, it reminded me, was like, man, this, this is not what I thought was going to happen. You know what I mean? You're like, you're number two. And that's when you start going, man, there's levels of this stuff. And, and UFC is so on an island by themselves. Yeah. And then like, it was interesting. And then like another time, just to think about this too, when, when, when the COVID stuff happened, you know, um, that the UFC is putting on fights and having a great time and, and they're gaining such a massive position of, of, of authority over Bellator right now because Bellator was still kind of in the hunt at that time. And then once they, all well, stuff at that time, they never had a TV deal. Like they lost their, their TV deal. And yeah. the first three or four months, they didn't even have anything on their schedule. And you're owned by, you're talking about with, with the COVID time. Yeah. Nothing, dude, nothing. And like, they just let themselves sit there and lose everything. And you're owned by Viacom. They could, they didn't do anything. And like, they were being put on CBS sports over here and this like unaccessible channels. And you're like, dude, what the hell is going on? Like, oh, you're, you're in Spike now. And then they have Paramount and then they rebranded it to this. Okay, cool. Let's make a big spectacle of it. And then all of a sudden it goes off of this and you can't find it. And now it's on this thing. And now it's on Hulu or whatever this thing was. And Dude, what the hell is going on here? You're owned by a Viacom and you can't even find the damn fights? Like, what's happening? I'll throw one more in there. Or you've got to sit six months while they go off and do some side show in Italy or something like that. You know, like kickboxing in Italy. And, and then, like, there's a lot of that. Move. Well, then, yeah, for sure. And then on top of that, then, like, when they did that dumbass heavyweight tournament. It wasn't a heavyweight tournament. It was the biggest names on their roster tournament that their stars would let people fight in. Like, Fedor wouldn't let Karatanov fight in it because he didn't want Karatanov to fight a. He didn't want to fight another Russian, possibly. Um, um, what's his name? Uh, Rampage wouldn't let Czech Congo fight in it because he didn't want to take a chance to fight in Czech Congo. So then they were like, okay, and they didn't want names that no that wouldn't be a draw. Um, like, um, who's that one dude who got staph infection and they wouldn't let him fight? He was on our card. Um, it's supposed to be tough. I can't remember his name. Is some oh Javi Javi something? Some Javi guy. Um, he was supposed to fight. He he was a tough ass dude. He's the dude who knocked out Karatanov. Yeah, that guy. Um, so, anyways, um, Javi Ayala, that's him. Okay. So, like, Javi Ayala's tough ass dude. He would have been great, a, a great fight for the heavyweight tournament, and he's exciting. Um, but they but they weren't big enough names. So then they invite four all American collegiate wrestlers. Why are you gonna have collegiate wrestlers go fight heavyweights? It's a totally different animal, completely different breed. Um, but it was the biggest names they had. And then I held out. So I had just beat Fedor in, in Madison Square Garden and in 71 seconds. And I got a really good payday off of that. And um, then, uh, then, then they do this stupid biggest name tournament. And I held out. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. We're going to announce this thing tomorrow, Matt. I don't care. I'm not going to do it. Doesn't make any sense. I'm taking three steps backwards. I'm not going to do it. And I think I was supposed to fight Rampage at the time. And um, That's a fight. Especially after the Ultimate Fighter, I thought yeah. I was shocked that you two never met up. Well, we want, but we wanted to. Uh, Rampage and I are, we're friends, and we were like, "Hey, man, let's." It'll be a great job. But Rampage knew I was a tough fight, and at that point in his career, he wasn't really looking for a tough fight. Um, yeah. And uh, but we, we, our mouth, our mouthpieces, we'd have sold the fight. It would have been a hell of a time. 
Um, but, and we're buddies now, like we talk about it all the time. Like that would have been dope to have that situation, but the fight would have been a bitch, you know? But, <laughs> um, but what we figured is, um, is that, and then, and then once I was like, no, I'm not going to do it unless you give me Fedor money. Well, we're not going to give you Fedor money. We're going to sit you out for an entire year, whatever else. I'm like, listen, what you guys can do is run your stupid tournament, invite another light heavyweight wrestler. Fuck, invite CB Dalloway in there if you want to. Doesn't matter to me. Like, bring, bring you know, and, and finish out your tournament. I'll sit out for whatever. I'll fight Chet Congo for the vacant tournament, for the vacant title. Then I'll be heavyweight champ. And then whoever wins this stupid tournament you guys are doing, they can fight me and we can unify the belt. Boom, there you go. Absolutely not. We're not going to do that. Whatever else, blah, blah, blah. All right, well, cool. fuck it. I'll just, I'll just sit out then. No problem. Yo, so, Matt, Matt, you're teaching them how to be a promoter at that point. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's everything you just said right there. It's, it's you're, you're writing a storyline. Like, you've got to sell people. You, that's what you just did. You just laid out an entire storyline of something that they should have followed. I just beat the greatest heavyweight of all time in Madison Square Garden during, during fucking Putin and, and Trump. I'm putting on my New York Giants jersey, and I'm talking mad shit to the rest of the world, and I'm talking to, to Donald Trump in the middle of this shit here. And then you want me to take three steps back and fight a fucking fat vagrant who's almost impossible to knock out? Fuck you. Matt, Matt, you know, it's amazing to me how when you look at this, you think these people know a lot, about, but then I get to look at them like, I know so many much, so many better, you know, matchmakers who d really understand what's going on, like how to develop fighters, how to make storylines, how to win these. It's not just putting on the best fight. It's setting up fights for later and understand the whole storyline. Chael Soden's a master of it, but these people have no idea what they're doing. They're in the position, but they don't really you gotta watch pro wrestling. I'm amazed. My head yeah. wants to blow up half the time. I'm like, how are you in this position? You know nothing about the fight game, in my opinion. It was weird, man. And then, so like, so I, so I told him I was going to sit out, and I told him I was fine with it. Cool. And then they called up at like 1 or 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, and they offered, they are like, fine, you know what, we'll give you this. And it was almost Fedor money, but I was like, all right, cool. I can't say no to that. But then they switched up the matchups, and they gave me Roy. Um, and then I was like, you know what, cool, whatever. That's a big-ass payday. I'm fine with it, no problem at all. So then they switch up the fights. I beat Roy, and then they give me Bader. And they give me Bader because they know I'm not a wrestler. So that's what it was. That was exactly their plan. Like, they were like, oh, cool, you're going to sit out? We're going to make this the most miserable experience for you. So they gave me my check for – and I got a flat check, big-ass flat check. I took that check and was like, hey, thanks for playing. That was a stupid-ass matchup. Hope your fans were hope your fans were excited about it. Walked right out of that place. Remember that, Chris? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was – I mean, you just knew – you know how he's going to fight you. He's not going to put – he's not going to try to do one thing interesting. He can't. I mean, he's smart. If I'm coaching him, I'm telling him to fight you the way he did. Yeah. Are you going to put on a good show or are you going to get beat? Yeah. Like, but it doesn't make sense. Like, either you're going to – hey, are they going to survive? And then he knocked out um, Fedor. And he's heavyweight champ still, right? He's, yeah. he's done it. Bader did a great damn job. And I'm yeah. proud of Bader for what he's done. I like, like and he fought it the best, the smartest way he could. And even after the fight, like, I was so bored and I was frustrated. He was like, dude, I'm so sorry I fought you like that. But I had to. <laughs> You're damn right. But that's why you shouldn't invite a light heavyweight All-American wrestler into a heavyweight tournament. Doesn't make any sense for heavyweights. Yeah. But things happen. So that happened. And then and then after that time, my, my time with for uh, – for Bellator was marked. I knew it because I, I sat out. Well, here, Bader was the champ champ at that point, and yeah, he held correct. him hostage. So yeah. they, were getting, they were getting beat up by everybody contractually. And everybody. Dave Martin is no punk. Dave Martin will go straight for the nuts. He is a gangster. 
Yeah. In, in fact, like when the COVID was going on and we were doing our little podcast, I'm on record multiple times stating, if you can't do an event during COVID, you're not a real MMA organization. For sure. I mean, and that's it. That's it. Sure. And look what right, they let's did. talk about your entry into Bellator. I, I, I know we're, we're taking up a lot of your time, but Carol Salmon. Yeah, I got, I'm missing my kid time right now, so I got to get back a little bit. But Real quick. So one the Charles Tapa fight, had the Ali Thompson bout had already been discussed because it was three weeks later. No. No. That's surprising. So you did that right in the ring. Yeah, in the ring. Huh. And what's funny is I didn't really remember it much. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't remember because, like, I, I, I remember a little bit of the fight and I remember a little bit of the interview, but – no, that was like, I think they told me like, like right after the fight, hey, are you coolly bringing this up because of this situation? I was like, and I was kind of loopy. I was like, sure, sounds great. And then <laughs> there you go. All right, Fedor, February 18, 2017. You withdrew day of the fight. Dude, tell him, Chris. Tell him what happened that Man, moment. it was the worst of all time. We're there and Matt keeps, man, he had kidney stones and he keeps trying to like, move around and work out and then like his sinus and such pain like man how many days in advance did we know i had a stone do what remember I, I started passing that stone on wednesday yeah 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 so i mean he yeah he didn't you have like 13 stones in there or something weird i had 20 like 28 or 29 yeah he had what? a bunch of kidney stones man so Dude, so i started passing that stone on wednesday I can't take any painkillers because of the commission in California. Yeah. I can't take anything, nothing. So I'm passing the stone for four days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm my stone. I'm so blocked up. I can't, I can't pee anymore. I'm bloated because I'm holding so much water. So they, they're so finally I, t I like, then like and Bellator knows it. Bellator is coming in. Remember they, they went to the store for us. They knew what we're going on. Hey, how you feeling? They got us like cranberry juice. They got us um, uh, apple cider vinegar. We're at the oh, hospital. Trying to do it, and it's like there's Chris in there waiting, hoping the fight can happen that night. Chris, it was Chris and I were like, "Hey, listen, dude, you got about 45 seconds of adrenaline." Um, he's like, "So, ding, ding, just fucking go." He's like, if that, we're that, gonna do it. "That was a legitimate talk." We said, "Man, I mean, because Matt obviously is going to get paid. They didn't want to cancel his big fight. We're like, dude, we have two. You have two options. We got to cancel the fight, or you're going to have about a minute to knock him out." What do you want? I mean, and eventually the bell tour kind of came in like, man, we can't do that. You know, I mean, they just like, kind of knew that. I was so I was so bloated up that I they said I was holding seven liters of water. I think it was like I, my body couldn't get rid of it, and like they would touch my body and it would like leave edema marks. Like, and my kidneys were so sore, like so sore, and they were like, "Dude, we can't do this." Like, even Chris is like, "Dude, he's like, if he hits you once, you might explode." Yeah, it's over. I mean, yeah, we were just like, it, it was, yeah, it was bad. When did you pass it? How far after? Oh, oh, uh, the flight home. Remember, Chris, in Dallas. Yeah. It's horrible. It's horrible. D yeah. Then he had like 20, 29 of them still in the system. It was just a bad little. <laughs> they went through, like, I, and and I and I, I even told Bellator as a sign of faith. First of all, Bellator didn't pay me at all for that. Didn't give me any conciliatory money at all. None. And to make it better on Bellator or for Bellator. I went to the hospital. I don't have insurance because you can't get health insurance if you don't have, if you're a fighter, if you don't have like a real job and your wife didn't have a real job, can't get health insurance. Um, so I went there and paid for a surgery to get all my kidney stones removed. $34,000 in cash. Thanks. Had them all removed just so Bellator would have the confidence to put me back on a main event card. Holy shit. 
that's nuts. All right, you fought Fedor. It was almost a it was a double knockdown in the beginning of that fight. Yeah. That was one of the yeah. craziest things in MMA. It went viral. It was pretty dope. <laughs> it was pretty cool. What was it like leading up to fighting Fedor? Well, it didn't really mean much because I, I didn't grow up watching fighting. So Fedor was just a, a, a dude, just a guy. Like, I, I mean, if, I was fighting, if I was fighting Barry, Barry Sanders, I'd fucking have a heart attack, right? Like, like, but like, Fedor was cool. Sounds great, man. He did some crazy stuff. Man, look at that time he slammed that guy. Awesome. Kevin Randall. <laughs> when he gets slammed by Kevin Randleman. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah there you go. And like, I mean, it didn't mean much to me. Cool. Sounds great. I remember being across the cage and he was like slapping his face, getting ready. And I was like, all right, let's go fight. Like, all right, great. Like the magnitude of the moment wasn't, mag wasn't significant to me. It was just cool. Sounds great. Awesome. Let's go get paid. That energy in that building must have been insane. It was pretty dope. And then after I won, um, after I won and somebody threw my Giants jersey in there, it was actually my boy, Damon Tudelik. And I didn't even know it was his. He, he like somehow got close enough and threw my jersey in there. And then I put it on and it was like, let's go big blue. It was dope. It was a cool moment. Wow. Wow. What was the, in, we're wrapping up. Russians in the audience? A lot of Russians in the audience in New York? Oh, there's a lot of Russians in New York in general. So the hell yeah. They were. It was weird. After I beat them, I started getting all these death threats. Like they're going to rape my kids and kill my family. And like, they were like telling like what, like the route my daughter takes to school. They're telling me the name of her school, her teachers and all that stuff. It's pretty crazy. Wow. Were they legit? Like, was it like legit I mean, information? They're, they're, they're crazy Russians, man. But I'll tell you this much. Like once Fedor heard about it, apparently Fedor like put something out. It was like, don't you fucking dare do that again. Take to the masses. And then I never got him again. Solid guy. Was he a gentleman? He was a great dude, man. Great, great yes. dude. And I heard that he wanted to fight me in Russia as his last fight. And I was like, hell yeah, no problem at all. But, but Bellator wouldn't let it happen. So he fought Tim Johnson instead. Hmm. What was like Van Arsdale like in the practice room over at the Black Zillions? Coach, Coach Van's a trip, dude. He, uh, Coach Van is singularly athletic in a way that only he's athletic. And it, like he almost doesn't understand that other people can't do what he could do. At <laughs> and so he would show people like these crazy like like chimpanzees swinging in a, in a forest kind of moves, like long gaping swinging moves ankle picks from like from up here and dropping down and there's no way that anybody else could even start to do those and he would do it at 50 years old and just couldn't understand how it didn't work it was good man it was cool it was a trip <laughs> and then we gotta let my, matt go he's doing the That's family it. thing hey man thanks, we appreciate man. your time thanks so much man and uh, awesome stuff i love it thanks, man. it thanks hey guys always man thanks so much man hey the Lights Out Podcast here, yet another deep dive in the books. We had an uh, appearance from the big guy, Chris Vidal, making an appearance, and uh, that made the podcast all the more fun, obviously. Yeah. Chris and Matt, pretty special relationship, and, you know, we got to be a part of it, Mike, so thrilled. Miguel, Mount Punchmore, your four <laughs> favorite inter guys that we've interviewed, Matt Mitrione. Ensign NUA, those two have secured their spots on Mount Punchmore, in, in my opinion. That, I'm like okay that? with that. I'm okay you like with that? that. <laughs> A couple of good choices there. Um, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, we, we got into the nitty gritty. I like, I like that Mitrion's stories, you know, are so wide ranging. Like, they, like, he'll talk about the business end. Like, he remembers 
you know, some fighters say, I don't remember when I got paid. And you got to, you know, some of them are telling the truth. Some are being a little coy because they don't want to share that. That's perfectly okay. But Mitrion just shares it. You know, he's just like, yeah, they, they offered me 37-37. I'm done with that. You know, I wanted three times that. So um, that level of detail along with, hey, guys, hold on. You got to see this picture of this place, you know. The wide range, like the business end and the fun end. So, yeah, Mitrion, Mike, he checks off a lot of boxes. <laughs> I know you like to use that, and you're correct. The thing about Mitrion is he's got a nickname named, you know, Meathead. He might be one of the more intelligent people we've ever had on this podcast. Yeah, I think, but I think he does play play to that. I think he likes, like, the you're absolutely right. The nickname is not appropriate. Like, you know, that's, I guess that's what... So, but I think he likes to play to it too. So if you don't really know, you might think he's a big jockey meathead, but you, you know, once you, once we got a foot in the door with Lytle and stuff, you get to see, you know, the guy, and, and here's the other part. The fun stories, the business end stories, and even, but the in the ring memory too, where he talks about a specific strategy for each guy and how, you know, in this particular case, I was working on, I want to kick Struve high, for example, like that type of stuff. Like it's, the, it's, it's the Holy grail of interviews. It's, he doesn't miss a beat on anything. You no, know? And it, sometimes that's why we're here. Yeah. He covers all three in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why we're here. You know, getting little tidbits of information like that. Um, stuff like that would get lost. And it's so important, like to us, yeah. you know, MMA historians. So September 24th, I'm in Willowbrook, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. I'm hosting Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu Pro. If you like gi and or no gi jiu-jitsu, please sign up at ajptour.com. And I know we've we've got kind of a, I'm not going to say, we, we've got a decent-sized following here in Chicago. Please stop up there, say hello. I'd like to, I'd like to int- meet you guys. Miguel, what about yourself? Uh, you know, got the interview in the books August 12th. I'm booking Anthony Pettis's, uh fighting event uh, on the UFC's Fight Pass. So putting a couple of fighters on the main card there. Should have something to announce in the next couple of days. Good, good, good. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for sharing this. Um, greatly, greatly appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.